0: The Bucs got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits. At the big ball, these Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Under Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucs win. look Spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones On they got him days. if he catches it, it's over. Bull game! Touchdown to one Stinson! 25 yards! JJ German for the win! He got it! JJ German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick. Shout off to my What's your name, man? I told you! It doesn't matter what your name
1: is! You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff. You still have no talent. It's Sandoz in the sidekick on
0: the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Thursday, Jay Sandoz, and Mike Gallagher. A lot
2: to talk about on today's show. We'll be talking ETSU women's basketball, ETSU men's basketball, football. Not just with ETSU and the preview going in, but Austin Harris. stops by for what I feel like he's the new Andy Jackson. For those of you who don't know, Andy Jackson worked for me for like seven years. And every year was going to graduate and not come back. And we did farewells to him like three straight years. And finally, I looked at him, and it was his actual last year, and I didn't do one for him. I'm like, I'm just tired of giving you a farewell for you to turn around and come back. Like, you just keep teasing me, so I'm not going to do it. So the question is, this will be the second year in a row, you've kind of give Austin a farewell. As it was pre-recorded, yes. obviously. But uh, you gave him a farewell. The question is, will he come back just to be on the podcast? That's the only reason he comes back.
3: He may come back just to be on the podcast. He also may leave, and then we would regret not giving him a second farewell because last year we did one, and then we really did a second one. This is actually really number three because we did his playing career, and then after his playing career, we did the kind of real-life route tree. We went route tree to real-life route tree, and then now just strictly coaching, and this is a what I think to be, but I am definitely not sure, a final farewell. Third time maybe the charm. I don't hope that that's the case. I like having Austin on. He's been a great guest of the show. He's given a tons of time and in some adverse circumstances when he first came on, when he was the backup to Logan March, he then throughout his time becoming a folk hero around campus and even when he's come back from Austria. So I think we love him. He loves us. And uh, I'm sad to see it go again.
2: I'm assuming. For a third time. I'm <laughs> assuming. You're either going to somehow get Austin on next year or Keelan Raleigh. I can't tell which one you're going to get on next year <laughs> one way or another. But anyways, the uh, Austin Herrick's final, final, final appearance apparently on the podcast. We'll figure it out. That'll be the third segment. Talking basketball first. Again, we're going to talk both basketballs, football, Austin Herrick, all that coming up here on this Thursday. Next week back to the uh, little bit more of a – actually, no, it's Thanksgiving. We won't even do a full week next week. I was going to lie Fantastic. and say we're doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but uh, – We'll not do a little Monday, maybe a little Wednesday, all-encompassing, or uh, a Monday, Tuesday. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Either way, uh, a lot going on. The early women's basketball game today, and certainly, Mike, you're on the call. Looks like you're still sweating because there were a lot, again, I don't know how your head is not pounding. I don't know how you can do this right now because my head was pounding back here just trying to cut the highlights for it uh, amongst some other things that were going on uh, back here. But uh, you were there. You sweated it out with all the kids. Too. I don't know. what Was there official attendance? Did, uh, did we give that
3: yet? Uh, I don't think we That's did. All right, we'll I guess we did.
2: 1,853. All right, so 1,800 in there. Most screaming kids, most uh, enjoying life no matter what was going on in there. But let's talk about it. It's life without EHO, at least for four to six weeks. Hurricanes overton out. Uh, they assume four to six weeks. It's a grade two MCL, if I'm not mistaken. And so, uh, you know, just a knee. She's on crutches. I saw her in the hallway, talked to her for a minute uh, before the contest. But you knew ETSU was going to be without its best offensive and defensive player, maybe the most uh, intense player in the league, period. All of that. So, you're going to see how to recover. And sometimes game one, I think it takes people a while to figure out new roles. Uh, and I think that happens when you lose a star. To me, that's what it felt like. The in and, and the ladies' team battled and battled, got it to seven or eight there in the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden, a couple of uh, three started raining in for Radford, and then it looked like uh, – you know, ETSU just couldn't recover from that. But to me, it felt like it's still people trying to figure out, you know, what the role is, when to take shot. You know, when the shot clock's winding down, who always took the shot, right, Eric haynes Overton. So now, simple things like that, if you get, in, you know, five, six seconds, who you throwing the ball to, who's doing what. They did beat the clock a couple of times. Uh, Micah Sheets, I think, was the last one, a little teardrop shot. But for the most part, to me, it's about trying to figure out the identity of the team while she's not there.
3: Yeah, and it's on both sides of the floor, really. It's not even just on the offensive end. You talked about she's such a dynamic player on both sides of the court. Defensively, ETSU struggled, too. They gave up a lot of open shots, and a lot of that had to do with Kiana Johnson, who is a very good point guard for them, had a double-double today, 11 points and 10 assists. And you could key in on Sidney Nudley and Kiana Johnson that's exactly what Coach Zell told us before the game exactly what needed to happen during the game and to an extent what didn't happen when you're talking about post game and looking back at it Nunley was shut down they had no problem doing that Tiana Kimbrough three blocks she also had uh, seven rebounds and really had a good day overall I thought her best day as a buck four or five from the field eight points thought she did excellent down low Defending Nunley, taking her out of the game a bit, and getting her own on the offensive end. Aside from Kimbrough, though, you take Nunley out of the game, and the guards, which is, as you mentioned, the place where Erica Haynes-Overton does affect the game, you know, in the backcourt. They just couldn't keep up with Keanu Johnson, and Erica Haynes-Overton's probably the only one on the ETSU roster that would be able to do so. Johnson, every single time there was a missed shot, and there were plenty of them, 15 of 58. Coach Zell not happy with that postgame, basically said, we got open looks, People have to not be timid. They have to shoot confidently. They have to step up in this situation. They have to realize that Superman isn't coming through the door, that we don't have a hero that is showing up, that Erica Haynes-Overton, as much as she can do, even if she were on the floor, that still doesn't mean that you can play timid and just defer to her. The mindset has to switch a little bit, looking at Erica Haynes-Overton over on the sidelines with basically her knee. It's not immobilized by any brace or anything like that, but she really couldn't do much on she's on crutches right now uh Zell doesn't even want to guarantee she's back in four to six she said indefinitely now and she said she may not be back at all this year which god forbid I don't want to think about that I want to see Erica Haynes Overton back at the latest by conference season but point being you neutralize Nunley Johnson just goes up and down the court each time you miss a shot and it really started to show in the fourth quarter because she hit a couple open players Brianna McLean Had five quick points right out of the third-quarter buzzer, and that made it from nine, which is really manageable, right? I mean, maybe not the way ATSC was scoring the ball, but nine, it extends all the way out to 14, and then she starts finding Michaela Wilson, and they start moving the ball where Wilson hits a couple of threes, McLean hits another three, they shot five of six from the three-point line of their last six attempts, all those coming in the fourth quarter after starting four of 19. So that was essentially it. At least Stafford got in foul trouble. You can't have that right now with Erica Haynes-Overton being out. It's got to be Sheets and Stafford is the one and two, and Stafford now has, let's see, going into the game, I think it was 13 fouls in her last three games, and she was out all but four minutes of the first half because of fouls. So it just kind of snowballed in the box late. I thought it was a good effort defensively, but just shooting the ball fifteen to fifty-eight from the field, two of fifteen from outside, eleven to fourteen from the line—not too bad. Micah Sheets had thirteen, but four of sixteen from the field. She's not the most dynamic in creating her own shot.
2: Yeah, and I think it 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 showed. I mean, general it showed. I thought there was some some spurts where I thought maybe turned the corner, and they did it so with. Def- defense it kind of turned in some offense Uh, I think there was one sequence that I really enjoyed uh, I think the best run was eight nothing during the game and it was a sequence where Kimbrough blocked a shot then somehow Radford still got a shot up then she got the rebound then she goes down on the other end hits a shot you know she did a little bit of everything and there were spurts there where I thought Kimbrough looked good there were spurts where I certainly thought Mikey Sheets could do some things it is just not I mean she's more of a spot up right I mean just sit in a corner, uh, maybe a pick and pop,
3: something like that. But I mean, She's just, crafty. She can work yeah. her way open from time to time, but it's not consistent.
2: Right, and, and I think that she needs somebody to distribute the basketball. And this is where I think maybe Kai Upton in her maturation process as a guard and maybe taking over some of that. And, again, you're still really without Jada Craig who can handle the ball. And she's back. I'm not saying she's not, but she's not 100%. She's working her way in, doing something. But, to me, it's this is an opportunity for Kai Upton to do a couple things. One, Uh, She is skilled going to the rim, I think. I don't think she does it enough, and maybe that's the confidence factor. But if she can try to go to the rim, number one, she can try to score or get fouled. Number two, dump it off to one of the post players. The third thing is it can help create a shot for Micah Sheets and get it going. I know Upton, particularly not a long-range shooter, and that's fine. She didn't have to be. I think just going with an attack mindset for her, I think can help open up everything else. I still am clamoring – um, to see a couple of the outside shots to go down for ETSU and a little disappointed again at least Stafford just one of four from out there. Harvey's the one I'm and I know she only got two shots today, but I just keep waiting on her to to be able to knock a couple of those shots down because you watch her shoot and she's got a nice shot, nice touch. It just seems like she's either not getting the ability to get the shot off or just not willing to take a shot. It, it's a little bit again I've only seen a couple of games. You know, I'm still not there in everything they're doing. I don't know all the plays. You probably know a lot more about the system and the plays th- than I do, uh, being so closely a- attached to them as, you know, doing the home and away games other than the, the one Liberty game. So, and-, and doing it for the last couple of years now. But I, I really think if Harvey can get kind of worked in, hit some threes, at least Stafford and Amaya Adams, uh, you know, if-, if they can give you 8 to 10, 12 a game. If Kyle Upton can create shots for other people, then I think ETSU can figure it out and win some games. I mean, I, I really do, because I think they've started to gang rebound a little better. You know, they're, they're still going to get beat on the glass against certain teams just because of some matchups. But I do think they're going to do that. The one thing that's really, really going to hurt is the fact you lose all the steals that Eric Haynes-Overton, you know, creates. But I think if they can gang rebound... They can try to get to the free-throw line. I know they struggled a couple games ago, but if they can try to get to the free-throw line, they can drive and uh, have Upton kick out to a couple
3: different ladies that can knock down shots. To me, that's where they can be successful. Problem with Kaya Upton driving, and it's a good idea because she is quick. She can get past players. She tends to get a little out of control, and I think she needs to grow into the next step of the drive-and-dish type game. You drive, you get there, but you got to go in with your head up See where defenders are, know where your teammates are, and then either decide finish at the rim under control or find a teammate, make a pass, know what bodies are around you, how big they are, what lanes you have, because she does run herself into some trouble from time to time. Ariel Harvey hit three threes between the high point and the North Carolina A&T game but we've got a bigger issue with her now because in addition to just getting up two shots today, she also has an ankle injury. She was in a boot after the game, and so she's questionable for Saturday against UNC Asheville. Coach Zell told us that Micah Sheets, as well as Amaya Adams, were being checked for ankles. I didn't see those injuries at all, but it's just a mass unit right now, and it starts, of course, with Erica, but if you even have those little injuries along the way, I mean, you're looking at six, seven healthy bodies against a team last year that was think a 23 win team or whatever it was in the big south they're projected third this year and today playing the big south favorite in radford and getting beat by 24 you know that unca Asheville from last year and the experience today with the big south team isn't going to take it easy on you
2: no and and nobody's gonna in college athletics i assure you nobody's feeling sorry for you no and nor would etsu if they were at the full complement of players and then uh you know unca only had six or seven i mean nobody's going to do i mean it's just what it is competition and I think there are just – and I think Coach worded I, – I liked a lot of what she said in the post-game, uh, you know, talk with you, uh, just about, you know, there is no – and we've heard this from other coaches, right? from Randy Sanders all the time. We don't need you to be a hero. We need you right. to do your job. I like the fact talked about being confident, stepping up, doing this. There is no superhero walking in there, so just, you know, do what you can do. You know, you don't have to be Superman. We don't need Superman. We just need to be able to execute and play with confidence. And I think this this – couple of game stretches going to test some of these young ladies on exactly where they fall how they want to compete and how they go now we saw last year they got off to a not so good start and was able to uh you know pick it up and finish uh fourth in the league last year and was able to compete uh in the southern conference tournament so i'm, I'm thinking you know they could still probably have a better record than that going into it but there are just some things gonna have to come
3: together You mentioned the steals and the defense that Erica brings. You could even see it today. I mean, ETSU turned it over 20 times, specifically early. That was a big problem. A lot of those points turning into or turnovers turning into points for Radford. Only forced 12 turnovers today. And a lot of ETSU's defense, when they've been at their best, has turned into offense and getting on the fast break. And Erica just getting uncontested baskets or broken floor situations, two-on-one, three-on-one. And that's going to be more difficult. I mean, Kaya Upton – Does a good job taking the ball away, but today she had no steals. You know, Erica just causes so much chaos when she's out there with her presence. She's all over the place, and not just offensively, but defensively, she can make up for so many mistakes by others because of the ground that she can cover and her athleticism. So that is not going to be here until at least the Georgia Tech game, which is December 15th, and they just beat Georgia for the first time in Athens in their program's history by 33 so Georgia Tech looks like they are up. Uh, and at the latest, if it's 4-6, to six, you're probably looking at beginning of the year or if you want to play it safe, and why wouldn't you? Coaches all stress that today. We're not going to put Erica in any adverse situations where her health may be affected. Save her for conference season, January 9th against UNCG. I thought one other thing that stood out, Shania Jackson, she had eight rebounds in 18 minutes, which is very strong, but she can score the basketball. She is a good scorer, and it's interesting because we saw – with Gabby Brown, some of the same things I think we're talking about with Shania Jackson. Gabby Brown today 0 of 4 had her first two points as a buck and seven rebounds. I asked Coach off Offair about Gabby Brown. Will she have to do more? And she said, well, a bunch of people are going to have to do more, which, of course, that's the right answer. Erica Haynes-Overton is the quality of about three or four players on any given team, right? But she said Gabby Brown, who has only played seven minutes coming into today and ended up playing three today, or pardon me, 17 today, so she more than uh, two-and-a-half times her minutes output today alone 24 minutes on the year just those two points why wasn't she playing more in those first few games and Coach Zell said it's not really that she's not good on the offensive end because she fills it up in practice but she just doesn't translate that to the game and she has some difficulty understanding the schemes and things such as that but she's got the ability She just hasn't been able to get it on game day. Shania Jackson's the same way. No points today on 0 of 6 from the field. You just are going to have to get a little bit more from everyone else. Like you said, you're not going to have to get a ton from one or two people. Don't anybody try to be Superman flying in with their cape. Don't anyone try to be Erica Haynes-Overton. Don't try to drop 41, get 10 rebounds, and get 7 steals. But if everybody is able to do a little more and be a little better and understand that it's not falling on one or two people; it's falling on everybody to step up and have their teammates back when she's out. Then I think they're going to be okay. But you can't have your starters go ten for forty-five from the field. Needless to say,
2: you cannot. And I think that, and we've talked, I've talked about this a lot. Uh, just because on the opposite, on the men's side where Vonnie Patterson comes from junior college ranks, and generally you, you don't get people to play defense from junior college. I mean, you, you just don't. That's exactly the situation with Gabby Brown. And I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if they're just worried about getting points to help get recruited or whatever it may be. But they have trouble. A lot of JUCO people have trouble translating into defense. Again, I don't know if it's the complexity of it. There's a lot of JUCO sometimes just go zone. They're not real worried about it. So there's a lot of things there to to go. And so sometimes those guys and girls are a little slower to come around. Now, will it take her a whole season to figure out or will it take her six or eight games? And the one thing I think can help you is – Real minutes you know. Uh, if you don't get it in practice, I get it You could kill them uh, in a game But if you get in there, you can either figure it out quick Or you're not going to figure it out right? <laughs> the trial by baptism or whatever they call it And I think
3: Gabby honestly is a great on-ball defender But when you have to come to more scheme-based More in-depth basketball type things She's just not quite there yet And you're right You hope it doesn't take a whole year This is a non-conference We know Brittany Azell's approach to the non-conference It's use this time to get better love to be 500 against a really aggressive schedule that would be huge success but if we end up being you know what was last year two and fourteen whatever the case may be it's not the end of the world because conference play is when you have to be at your best have to make sure that the girls keep understanding that because there are a lot of newcomers and you don't want them to get down on themselves because then obviously they're not going to be playing with confidence
2: yeah it's amazing to see them recover in conferences season. you know you can do a couple things yes you can get better but you need to win some games in there, too, right? Because winning just does everything for you. It cures a lot of ills and everything else. But there's still a challenging schedule. They still can pick up – again, I still think they can pick up some wins without Eric Kane's Overton. do. They need to, you know, just not, not drown in the deep end right now. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly what it is, and I think Coach basically said that. I don't think I'm right. take, taking her comments out of context here. I think she would agree with me on that. So, how do they recover? How do they go – how they move forward, and the next test will be Saturday against UNCA, and then I guess Monday, right? Uh, and so it's going to be a couple of games quick, uh, UNCA at home, Appalachian State on Monday.
3: Unfortunate how that works out. They don't really have a lot of time yeah. to reload and get in the gym and practice and figure out those type of roles, but I guess out of the frying pan into the fire, and UNCA is 7 o'clock, SoCon Digital Network, then uh, 6 o'clock on Monday. It'll be the pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network for a 6.30 tap against Appalachian State. All right, that'll do it for Women's Basketball
2: Breakdown. We'll take a look back to the men's trip to Lawrence, Kansas, against the Kansas Jayhawks. for this time, i to hear a word from San Jose Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
0: Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common-sense technology, to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public
4: power provider.
0: Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
2: Sandoz in the sidekick back with you. Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher. Talk a little men's hoops. ETSU fresh off the trip to Lawrence, Kansas. It was the number two college insider mid-major team versus the fourth-ranked team in the country. Shocker. Fourth-ranked team in the country did prevail at home in which they've only lost 13 games in 17 years. Pretty impressive stats. 14 conference championships, 13 home losses in 17 years. That's the stat that really blew my mind.
3: Is it like 30 NCAA appearances in a row? I think 30 is the number. It's uh, the, the home. With the There were like
2: eight things. The senior class, that was another good one. The senior class for Kansas since 1986 87 have all won at least 100 games. Think about how hard it is for ETSU to get to 100 games in four years. And think about the fact in the 80s they played a
3: lot less games to get to 100. It's incredible. It is. Uh, since 1989. If I'm counting this right, so that would be yeah, 30 in a row.
2: So old, old Billy Self knows what he's doing over there. Yeah, he does all right. Yeah, he's done some good thing. And you know, I, I think if you heard Coach's comments pregame you, or postgame, I should say, there's some, there's some the we're p- going to revisit. Well, okay, too. all right. So uh, I won't give them all away. Let's talk about the game in general. We'll let Coach speak for himself in just a minute. I thought the the run of 23 to five, and you can look at it a couple different ways. It was 18 two, 23 five, is 27 eight. But whatever that run, wherever you want to start it and stop it for about six to eight minutes, again, depending on where you want to start and stop the run, was, was really not enough to put the Bucks away, but it certainly kept them at a good arms distance away for a majority of the game.
3: The frustrating part was, I think it was four or five times, and the stat here is the Bucks were 0 for 4 in the second half on shots with a deficit of seven or less. So they had some looks. Coach Forbes talked about it. They had the chances and they just couldn't capitalize. I didn't expect him. I was very confident heading into the game. If you remember me talking about it on Tuesday, I, I kind of talked myself into a corner a couple of times about it was like. I wonder what the way to beat Kansas is. And as it turned out, did the Bucks want to get in a shootout with Kansas? Yes, they did, because Kansas, I think, shot like one for 14 from beyond the arc. They were absolutely terrible. But ETSU was what, eight for 31? Do I have that right? Nine for 30. Nine for 30, which isn't a horrific percentage. It's not a great percentage, but there were opportunities to go 12 for 30 or 13 for 30, and then free throws is something we talked about as well. Eight for 15, is that the right number? Yes, that's correct. Eight for 15, just not good enough. You can't win that game if you're eight for 15, but I did not think we'd get down that big that early. I don't think we, I don't think I thought that we'd get down that big at all, and if it was going to happen, it was going to happen early. I had no question that the Bucks would be able – to come back and keep that game close and have a chance which I think they did to seize that game at the end what was it a five-point game with less than six minutes to go I mean it was right there I thought it would be more of a 13 14 point lead rather than I think it got to 18 which was unfortunate and that ended up being I think one of the problems it was just too big you had to play almost perfect basketball to be able to come back against the number four team in the country from down 18 at any point in the game even if it was relatively early in the first half so I thought it was a great effort, though. I really did. I-, I wish that they could do those last six minutes over again, or really just the stretch from, like, five minutes to two minutes because they went quiet, and that was when Kansas kind of stretched it out. Just didn't hit enough shots. And to me, I don't know about you, but that's environment to me because the Bucks are a better shooting team than that. I don't know if they're a better free-throw shooting team. That remains to be seen. I think they're a better three-point shooting team, though, and at 41% coming into the night, that showed that. And then to only shoot whatever it would have been, 30 or so percent, and not hit those two or three that would have made all the difference, I think that's 16,000 fans, number four team in the country, unfamiliar environment. Well,
2: number, big one, crap. number one, when you, you talk about – let's use Patrick Good as an example. You play in the Southern Conference, he's got guys similar size. Well, now you add a 6'3", 6'4", guard with length. Well, Even, I think Patrick would say probably a little more athletic than him. It's tough to get a shot off unless the Bucks do a great job of moving the basketball around. And so sometimes it's a little bit of tough shots. Sometimes they move the ball around and had great clean looks and just didn't hit them. I thought the game still was going to come down, and my, my pregame chat was in the paint. And, and not that I thought ETSU was going to be able to handle Kansas and be comparable in the paint. My thing was the shooting percentage in the paint. In the paint, ETSU shot 38%. percent mm and remember, I, and I knew they wouldn't go 21-24 like they did against Martin. I knew that I was like, you know, 50% would be great. If they could get to 60%, I thought they had a they could win the game. And at 38%, and they were outscored a paint 54-24, which yep. I, I would have said going into it, Kansas probably goes in there with a plus 20 or more, you know, 20 at least uh, points in a paint. And, and no problem saying that just because of the style of offense they play. Again, when you got a 7-footer, 275, what else are you going to do but, but go inside? And, of course, they had steals and dunks, and that also helps that percentage as well. But I really thought that was the difference because the Bucks were able to get inside. And, again, they get 24 points. If they get to 50%, now you're talking that's an extra 10 points. Well, what would that extra 10 points do for you? You know, if you get to 60%, that's an extra 14 to 15 points. So, I, I think, to me, that was always going to be the, the difference. And, of course, free throws would have helped hitting a few more. But, I mean – even if they hit four or five more and shot a good percentage, 12 of 15, it would have been, you know, four more points. You're still you're still eight behind, right? You know, asking somebody to go 15 of 15 is just not going to happen. Gonna happen no. It's not going to happen. So, if if you get four more free throws, yet, but to me it was a two-point game. It always was a two-point game. On layups, I'll take it one step further. On layups, uh, the Bucks got uh, 22% of their scoring from layups, 14 points, and Kansas got 28. So, again, I think there, there's some things there, and – so, anyways, I, the, the two-point shooting, Kansas was 77% because, of course, they were one for 14 from three. ETSU on two-point baskets was 44%. And to me, all that was around the paint. There was not a lot of mid-range jumpers by ETSU missed.
3: Here's Coach Forbes on the start. Right. First
1: punch put us on the canvas. I've always told our guys you got to body punch, body punch, body punch, and when they drop their hands, you got to knock them out. And We kind of dropped our hands early, but to our kids' credit, Boy, they kept fighting, man. They just fought, 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 fought. We finally put some score pressure on them, and, and it got a little tight. In the second half, we got some really good. We made some shots, but, man, we missed some that, ooh, wide open that really would have put some pressure on them. I'm not into moral victories. I, I didn't come here to do that, and we didn't. none of us did. But I'm proud of our team, and I'm proud of the way they fought. I think we have a really nice, really good team. we got really good chemistry. I think this team's going to continue to get better and better and better. Joe Huey's close to playing. Could have probably played in the night. Just didn't really want to risk it. I like the way we scrapped. It's the first time in my career I've been in here. I didn't have to hear Rock Chalk Jayhawk at the end of the game. That was kind of nice.
3: Another quote you won't hear, he said, we're going to have to go win it. And we had our chances, just could not do it. And that's the tough part about Kansas. If it's not one thing, it's another paint points against UNCG were 28 to 26 in favor of the Spartans and Kansas made 10 threes to UNCG's eight while paint points were 54 to 24 against the Bucks in favor of Kansas while ETSU made nine threes to Kansas one you just never know with a team that good night to night what's going to show up and what isn't and that's what makes them so dangerous is that they can do it all
2: yeah I, I totally agree that that is 100 percent uh what makes them dangerous I thought coach Forbes
3: what is his boxing references?
0: I love that. I'm I do a boxing too. Guy.
2: <laughs> I do too. I absolutely. I do. the old Friday night fights when Joe oh. Des- when Joe Tessore was just doing the Friday night fights yeah. back in, when I was in college. That was un- I used to love those. But I I think the the point he also made was you know a team like Kansas is not going to beat themselves for you to beat them. Correct. Right. You know UNCG Wofford Furman those teams can sometimes give you a game. You know they hand it over to you to win because they're just not prepared to win. Kansas is not, right? You play somebody that caliber, they're just not going to give it to you. So you have to win the game. And the Bucks got great whistles in the first half. I mean, great whistles. Yeah, you harp
3: on that. You never think a fair whistle is going to happen. And the in the second
2: two. half, and I, you know, again, I'm not on air so I can say it now, they got mauled like five <laughs> times. I mean, two of Bo Hodges' plays, and I try to be nice and generous, but because they got so much in the first half, I kind of knew they weren't going to get as many in the second. But Hodges, we've got – and then there was – I think it was Hodges and it was Tisdale. Tisdale took an elbow to the face, in which somebody got a great photo of it. I think it's on etishbucks.com. No whistle. I, I mean, a, a guy come – and they said that he went straight up. His arm is down at below a 45-degree angle with an elbow to the nose of Tisdale and no whistle. So, whatever he got in the first half certainly didn't work around and, and got you a couple calls in the second half. But you have to win. You, you have to do that. And to do that, you've got to hit open shots. You've got to make hard two-point baskets. I was talking to Tisdale in the airport and asked him about the, the shot that got blocked. And he goes, well, so I thought I made a pretty good move. And then I heard a to because not one guy blocked it. Two guys slammed it off the <laughs> backboard. And I'm sitting there going, where the heck did that guy come from? And I said, well, you know, it was the seven-footer from the other side of the floor was the second guy. The guy that was trailing behind you was the six-foot-four guard. And he kind of got it, and the other guy got it. And next thing you know, it's out at half court and there's a run out. So, I mean, just uh, you've got to make shots. you got to make tough shots. you got to play tough. I thought Lucas Cassant. It's a good matchup for him. I th- what's tough is when he plays in Southern Conference, and a lot of people are going to say, "Well, how can Gasan go for eleven and seven? How can you know Jerome Rodriguez against Kentucky go double double?" And he can't. Well, a lot of teams in SoCon have no five man and they're all six foot four guards or five guards running around shooting threes, and so they got to run around, and run around. And it's just tough. It's tough to get, or they'll double or triple team Gasan down in a post where Kansas for the most part, was like, all right, go one-on-one, and I thought Gasan did a great job going one-on-one. Speaking of, Lucas Gasson.
1: It's a shot that he can make, and I'll be honest with you. I thought there was a couple times a night after that towards the end of the shot clock, he had that look and didn't take it, and we kind of ended up making shooting a fourth shot. Um, I have no problem with him shooting it through the last 10 seconds of the shot clock because he's got nice rhythm, nice form, and I wasn't surprised that he made it. Jay. I really wasn't. When it came out of his hand, it looked good, so I don't think it's something that – we're going to do a lot of, but he can do it.
3: When Lucas Goussaint hit his first career three in Allen Fieldhouse against the University of Kansas, I was in studio thinking, this might be the night. Good night. night. <laughs> I was with you. <laughs> Why even play the rest of the game? If Lucas Goussaint's hitting that shot and we're starting to do things that we've never done before, we got a chance.
2: I-, I assure you because that was early in the game. I think it was, you know, when it was around the 9 8 game, and Bill Self and that went in because it happened almost right in front of him. He just kind of looked at his bench like, how come nobody told me he could shoot a three, right? It's Who one of those, had the scout? Who right, had the scout? That's exactly right. Well, why isn't that on there? We're leaving, you told me slough off and leave him open. That thing looked like he could hit 20 of them. First career, coach. First career. I, and that's exactly it's like. So funny, Brooks Savage was on the Chattanooga staff um, uh, with Will Wade when they came in and beat ETSU. And I remember that Brooks had the scout, and Petey McLean had hit all of one three all year. And he hits his first three attempts. Oh wow! And basically, coach had a rule: if you hit the first one, finding take the second one. Well, he hit that one. All right, finding take another one. So you know, so he's three for three. Number will wait at half court, turning, screaming at Savage and being like, <laughs> "You said he couldn't shoot." He's like, "He had one coming in, coach." Right. He's played twenty-five games this year. He's got one coming in, so uh, it, it happens, right, guys? Guys sometimes lose their mind, play out of body. Bo Hodges again was a guy that just sort of lost it. Wasn't too big of the moment, you know great first half, great second half, never was really overwhelmed. He, made, he did make a bad pass early in the game that led to, a, to an easy steal and a layup for Kansas, but for the most part, competed the first guy to score 20 or more on Kansas' this season. I, don't, I think that's something to tout as well. 22 points uh, for total. Great stat line all the way around. Had rebounds, had steals, had blocks. I think he might have had only one assist and, and a couple of turnovers, but again, two of those turnovers he's going in, and I'm telling you, I've, I went back and watched it, he's got Mauled and no whistle there. So it, it happens, and, and a couple tough breaks him getting uh, turnovers instead of maybe going to the free throw line in the league. He probably goes, our league probably goes to the free throw line, but didn't there.
3: Anything fun from the trip you'd like to discuss that you haven't had a chance to with the listeners or on the broadcast before we go to Steve Forbes' last bite, which is about the upcoming schedule?
2: I think uh, just the fact of going to see all the history was was really a nice thing. The, the Hall of Fame's actually inside field house. And as it continues in the field house to a concourse level on the second floor, it actually feeds into a little atrium for student units. The students can actually eat, do whatever, and if they want to walk around and look at Kansas history and do I mean they can do that. And to me that's a that's a really cool thing to have and helps build, you know, sort of the brand and and the love for Kansas that that is clearly there. The the best thing I, I saw was the fact that they had uniforms and equipment and shoes and everything else from each decade dating back to, like, 1900s. Wow. And so to see what a football uniform in 1920 looked like and the padding that they wore, and then just to take a look at the shoes in the 30s and, and all the different th- – to me, that, and then, of course, anytime you get to stare at several national championship trophies and all that, and then the wall of fame of – you, you kind of know Kansas has history and you think about it, but then you start walking down the list and seeing – all the guys, I'm not even talking about some of the guys in the 90s. I forgot about it. I mean, you look at, well, Chamberlain, you look at Gail Sayers, and, and you go down in a lot of different sports too, I mean, from track and field to basketball to football. Uh, we have still got a couple of baseball guys that are out there. So volleyball is a pretty big sport there as well. So uh, you look at all of that, all encompassing and getting to do that. And then, of course, the arena hasn't really been upgraded. And now you're like, oh, what, what do we got? You know, Do we have to have – bunch of courtside seating. Do we have to have this? Do we want to sell that? Well, no, those people were fine in uh, wood bleachers, no backs, sitting wherever they want to sit. They have a little bit of area where they have old wooden flip-down seats. Wow. I mean, not even padded. I don't think it was a padded seat in the house. And 16,000 people show up for every single game, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a good environment, and they're knowledgeable. That's the one thing. I let One guy sitting near me came down to specifically tell me that he had been there every time ETSU had played. Wow. He had seen the other three games. It was the fourth time he'd seen them. Enjoyed our program. Talked about the 92 game, in which we gave him a little bit of a scare. Came down after the game. The people that were very complimentary of our program as we were leaving. It's a, Same thing, you know, we'll, we go to Kentucky, Dayton, North Carolina, all that. But that was really just seeing. I wish we had a little more time to do some other things. And then, of course, having the – there's an article out now on The Athletic, um, but – we had a beat writer with us from the athletic. He was able to go and tell a little bit of story. It's free pub. You can't get, he was a Kansas alum, uh, and, and gave us some good factoid stories and all that. But he, he met with everybody. I mean, it wasn't one of those where he shows up, you know, it was just in their locker room right before did whatever. He spent two full days talking to uh, players, talking to coaches, talking to me and Kevin Brown, trying to get some backstories from things. So, um, I've, uh, Opened it up. I haven't quite finished reading it yet, but it's a very large spread that I think does ETSU well again. Free publicity for ETSU, and the biggest thing is, I think a lot of people around the country that thought ETSU could probably hang in this did, and I think that helps down the road when people look and go, okay, well they didn't beat Kansas, but where are they when they got to play one of the elite teams? Right, it's a difference when if ETSU plays Kansas and LSU, they get beat by thirty in each game. You know, and then they win a majority of the non-conference. They go maybe two or three, maybe two conference losses. They still look at those games and go, yeah, but against upper echelon teams, look what they did. So I think nobody's going to give them credit for the win because they didn't win, and, and, you know, it doesn't happen that way. But I do think people will look at that line and go, okay, they played Kansas to 12 at Kansas in which 13 times in 17 years teams have won there. So I, I think people will put that in perspective because I know they look at all the numbers and all that, but eventually when they're trying to put people on the line, they're going to have an open conversation. Do we think this team would beat this team? And part of that's going to go, well, what did that team do against the upper echelon? What did this team do? And so I think it'll help ETSU. Now, all that being said, Mike, you know this, they got to go to Asheville and win that thing for that to even come into play. But certainly I thought it was still a good day for ETSU basketball. It looked like it could have got ugly and could have went to 40 or 50. I think Coach Forbes said that at one point, like, hey, this – I've seen it happen. You don't make shots and this thing gets 30 or 40 on you in a heartbeat. Teams just get blasted. That was a great quote. So, uh, we're not going to run that one, are we? No. No, thank goodness. I love that one, though. What do we got? Last one. We
1: got a tough stretch here. We got three games in four days. Again, people listen to me at home. You know, if we get through Delaware State and Southern Utah beats Charleston Southern, Southern Utah is really, really good. They beat Nebraska at Nebraska. They lost it. It's a two point game at BYU. BYU went to Houston and beat Houston at Houston. They have a veteran team, older team. Now we're not looking past Delaware State, but if it happens, that's a quality another quality mid major opponent's picked to win their league this year. And then we got App State the day after, okay? Who they've been playing pretty tough. So we got three games in four days that are going to be really important. We need you know we need our crowd. You know we need the, we need people there to cheer us on, and it makes a big difference.
3: Delaware State isn't much, and Coach Forbes wouldn't say that, but he alluded to we're not looking past him. But you got Southern Utah, should they get past Charleston Southern, that Sunday at 2 o'clock sets up, I'm not saying it's Marrake, ETSU, Kansas. I'm not even saying maybe it's ETSU and Winthrop. But it is a strong mid-major, and some may argue that Southern Utah is as good as Uh, Winthrop I think that some would have that conversation so this gives a chance for two really impressive home games against mid-major programs that have turned some heads early in the season which I think is great for the program and for the fans
2: yeah and and that's one thing you can clamor for if you really follow mid-major basketball and, and you know at ETSU a lot of times you get ETSU fans and others. So whether it's ETSU Tennessee, whether it's ETSU North Carolina, it's ETSU whoever. Throw, throw. You know, I I know one of the professors here went to Oklahoma and Kentucky, so he follows them with ETSU. And so no matter what it is, generally there aren't a lot of people. It's just ETSU, and, and that's okay. But when ETSU plays whatever, it's what it is. But if you really do love ETSU and you're wanting to keep up with them, then I think those people do pay attention to other great mid-majors. And they know when a team like Winthrop comes to town, right, when uh, uh, Wisconsin Green Bay comes to town, when Iona gets a chance to come down here, uh, any of those teams, I think you're like, you have to be excited about another similar type program. And I think getting Southern Utah, which a couple years ago I think won 20-some games. Last year I think they won 17. They beat somebody this year. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I don't know if you can get to it fast enough or not. But Southern Utah had a big win. Uh, earlier this season, gave a couple of teams Nebraska hits. on the road. Oh yeah, beat, beat a Big Ten team. Now, whether you think Nebraska's good or not doesn't matter. You, you beat, it's hard still to go beat a Big Ten team. And Lost so, by so,
3: five to BYU, and I think that in the clip that Coach Forbes said the BYU beat Houston in Houston. So it's going to be a great game, a great opponent.
2: And and you know if you can't get Tennessee and Virginia Tech and all these teams to come play in Freedom Hall, well at least you can try to get some of the better mid-major programs, and one it helps you. And number two, it does bring quality basketball to to Johnson City, and so I think it'll be a great game if it gets to that. Charleston Southern's had a little bit of issues this year, and for and and that's there's even a tie there because uh, uh, Coach Rodenbaugh is a uh, former um, ETSU assistant, so he's been here before, all that. So, anyways. Uh, Either way, I think it'll be a good game. I hope ETSU gets by Delaware State. I hope Southern Utah gets by them, and ETSU gets play uh, Southern Utah Sunday at 2 p.m. Both those games at 2 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, and then of course he mentioned it App State Tuesday at 7 o'clock. So the three games in four days. Patrick Good getting to face his former squad. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. So all right, that's Sandoz Sidekick. What's up, out for a timeout? When we come back, Austin Herrick. He'll talk to Mike Gallagher after this from the Buccaneers Sports Network
4: life is all about perfect pairings sweet and salty naughty and nice hot and cold well add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add quick cash to your next tennessee cash play quick cash is a simple way to turn one game into two with quick cash you'll have a chance to win up to 500 dollars instantly right there at the register plus you'll still have a chance to win the tennessee cash drawing later get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun it's quick cash with tennessee cash only from the tennessee lottery game-changing fun please play responsibly
5: Cake? Beer? Uh, Cake? Beer. Quality. Quality.
0: Quality. Not to be
5: continental MVP. Cake. Cake. A slice of cake. Cake. Beer.
0: Beer. Um, Yeah.
3: Fresh off leading ETSU football to a win last week against Mercer. It is the quality control coach for ETSU football on the offensive side of ball Austin Herrick what a victory by you last week
5: oh yeah yeah it was a big win for us Uh, glad I could be in the box and and do my part (laughs) I suppose Quay Holmes had a little something to do
3: with that as well maybe uh, Tyler Idell having perhaps his best game as a buck a few others were involved needless
5: to say yeah I I would say they did quite a bit more than me so
3: we have teased this week for quite some time um, three or four weeks at least this is perhaps the last time you'll ever join Santos in the sidekick firstly are you getting a bit teary-eyed thinking about that
5: no doubt. That's uh, th- that's tough to hear. I-, I would like to think I could come back uh, in the future, but I don't know. This could be sayonara. This could be it. There's a real possibility, and I uh, will call you. Don't call me on coming back on. How about okay. that? Is that right? Okay. Sounds good. Uh,
3: usually what we do off the top <laughs> of the show uh, is go through Twitter and really do some ironic, um, almost sarcastic jabs at your Twitter history Although they are framed in a very complimentary way Safe to say that that's kind of how it works? Yeah, that's fair I I think it's very veiled uh, in that kind of jerkish way on my part um, And that's (laughs) the mantra That's uh, kind of how I am on air So it works Uh, This week, though, I'm going to step completely outside my comfort zone And you may even be a bit uncomfortable as well Are
5: you very nostalgic, Austin? I actually am, yeah, probably to a fault. I know uh, our guest last week, Hunter, would definitely say I'm nostalgic. Yeah, you, you two went on quite the tangent of nostalgia. There's no question about it. Oh, no that. doubt. Yeah, that's what that's what we do. So you never
3: really struck me as much of a nostalgic person, at least in terms of looking back on things positively for yourself. Whenever we seem to bring up anything to the good for you... You seem to kind of dismiss it and slide it to the side You don't really want to talk about it much It almost makes you a bit uncomfortable As we uh, actually heard And we'll hear a bit later as well From you on your feelings about being on the show For all of these months And what actually has been, I think now uh, Almost a year yeah, a year Actually over a, little a year more, Yeah, more yeah, than a year Because we started change. at the beginning of your senior year So it's about uh, 14 months This week, regardless of how you feel about it You may get a bit uncomfortable You may really soak it in and enjoy it But it is going to be largely nostalgia And largely positive And truly heartfelt positivity <sighs> From this side of the studio So I hope you're ready for it Because uh, if you weren't already Um, Feeling like your head was bigger than ever coming in As it usually is walking into the studio Then it's going to be gigantic, massive Blow up the dome big After we're done here today Uh, We're going back through Twitter And looking at the Twitter history that you've had And what I've been able to pull out of it Yes, there's been a couple things here, a couple things there That have been good to poke fun at And uh, of course look back on and hear stories about And that's always been fun I want to remind you this week What you have meant to the ETSU community Both on the field Uh, Around the community itself Hunter Parker even talked about some of it last week You go somewhere with Austin Herrick And he's signing baby's foreheads He's giving autographs to um, Anyone that comes up to him There's pictures being taken The praise is being heaped upon him When you were around Austin Herrick in public You are nothing, he is everything So you got it a little bit last week But in the more genuine sense I looked back on Twitter and tried to pick out What I thought were the most representative comments From people on Twitter about your time at ETSU. Are you ready? Ready to go, yep. Logan Harris, at Slogan Yo, just reminiscing on last football season, and this was about a month ago, and what a baller Austin Herrick was. <laughs> How does well, it feel to be such a baller?
5: Uh, I, I mean, we, we definitely won a few more games last year, but I don't know that that was because uh, I was a baller by any means.
3: Logan Harris thinks you're a baller. Garrett Tumlin, at TheGTumlin on Twitter. I'm really happy for Jalen Hurts, and this was... Um, regarding his "quote unquote" comeback, you know, and the resurgence that he's making, but in all caps, Austin Herrick had one of the best comeback stories of all time. Your thoughts?
5: I mean, do you put it up there? He did his on a much larger stage, but that was uh, that was a pretty cool comeback we had. I'd say one of the best kept secrets in terms of the biggest comebacks in the history of sports. I was with you until you said the history of sports (laughs) At David McAvoy, WJHL Local
3: reporter, uh, videographer Takes some pictures as well Does a little bit of everything for WJHL Austin Herrick is what a great sports story is all about His ETSU football career alone Would make a great movie What studio are you going to make this movie with? Paramount, Pixar? Pixar would be a bit much, I think. I was it's just thinking the cartoony. Buccaneer Sports
5: Network. The Buccaneer Sports we, Network we is going to make here. a
3: film division just for you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. You would think that we would do that, wouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> at Jim Gum. I'm not sure if you know him, but he seems to have a connection back to Cleveland, your hometown. Hard to believe how these seniors have been the driving force to get from literally nothing to, at worst, co-conference champions. This was right after the Mercer game last year. Austin Herrick has shown so many how to deal with adversity the proper way. And I don't think you'd find any
5: ETSU fan that would disagree with that. I appreciate that. Jim was my neighbor growing up. Yeah. I
3: figured there were a few from Jim, and I was trying to find people that maybe you didn't know,
5: but I thought Jim may have crossed your path oh, yeah. in the past. Buckeye oh. Jim Gum. Buckeye Jim Gum. You yeah, even he's, on that, uh, he's got like a sports show that he does.
3: Yeah. I saw. I the think Blitz. It's the Blitz. That's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. No uh, at three putt potter. And this was in response to Kane O'Neill, former WJHL journalist here, has since moved up to Boston, and, uh, did very good work for WJHL, covered the box extensively, someone that I'm sure a lot of ETSU fans are familiar with and have probably even met from time to time. Um, I believe he talked to you right before the bye week last year, after you claimed the at least Co Southern Conference Championship and going into the Samford game, which was the season finale in the regular season last year. And the quote was awesome video! Austin Herrick, number seven, a true role model in every way, a Christ-following, hardworking team player who encourages everyone around him, the kind of legacy that will live on in perpetuity. So very proud of him.
5: I know Ron as well. That's Ron, okay. Yeah, Ron Potter. He goes to uh, church with us back at home, yeah.
3: At three-putt Potter. There was no picture or anything, so I was like, maybe this is just a random Austin Herrick fan. And there are random Austin Herrick fans out there,
5: many (laughs) of them. He plays golf with my dad Okay, (laughs) quite regularly. (laughs) I love
3: love these uh, connections back home. And then the Buccaneer Sports Network, matter of fact. And this is, I can't believe I didn't remember this, because as we've discussed, and it's convenient for me, I use the Buccaneer Sports Network as a way to show praise for you when I feel it's appropriate and then also to act like I don't run the account when it's convenient. <laughs> so I kind of work both sides of the fence there. Uh, Mark Spear from Western Carolina, good friend of yours, um, someone you're very familiar with in the conference. Uh, I think the admiration, admiration is mutual. Uh, he told me during an interview and we tweeted this out that you remind him And that you are to the level of Devlin Hodges. And when you said that you are Devlin Hodges to me on the show a couple of weeks ago, I cannot believe I did not remember this and said it at that time. But to make a perfect circle of 2019 Austin Herrick quotes on the show, you, from a football coach in this conference
5: and in your own mind, can agree that you and Devlin Hodges are equal to each other. It's not as outlandish as the stats look. (laughs) No doubt. Devlin, if you want to throw we'll get together and you know have a drink and go throw football. It
3: almost sounds like a challenge but it also sounds like a friendly thing but secretly I know that for you you would be out to prove something. Yeah it'd be competitive but it, there, there's no hard feelings no doubt. I think it might end in a uh, blows thrown no question about that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come over here and do this next part of our Austin Herrick walk down memory lane if you want to call it that uh, reliving some of the glory times of Austin Herrick You're on Santos and the Sidekick and in the ETSU community, and on the football field as a whole. We have some real audio to really bring you back, and this one, I think, may make you shed a tear. It's been a long time. The last conference title,
4: 49 years. The first Southern Conference championship in school history, first one of any kind since 1969. The last playoff game,
3: 22 years.
4: First appearance since 1996. East Tennessee State
3: back in. This Thanksgiving, 15 years to the day that ETSU football was left for dead. Today marks the day it's more alive than ever. The home. Johnson City, Tennessee. Okay. The colors. Blue and gold. The goal. A national
5: championship.
1: We gotta win. We gotta keep on winning. Now the tables have turned.
5: I oh, always we said we'd get our payback.
4: Finish. We just try to finish this year.
5: We're a force to be reckoned with. We don't have any quit in us anymore. I'm
1: a cowboy.
3: The Bucs have taken just four seasons to go from rebuild...
0: 2014, we have it!
4: The program was dormant. It's a shame that for 12 years it was not a topic of conversation around here.
0: To reload. Sexton puts it down. J.J. German for the win. He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shot the ball. Snap is good. Off. Hold is down. The kick where the win is good. East Tennessee State knocks off Kennesaw State the season. Oh, they knew They got him. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Juan Stinson. 25 yards. Good night.
3: The comeback story that was 12 years in the making has culminated over
0: the last 12 weeks with late game comebacks. Now Robert's just the delay, can he get out of the end zone and Moorhead, I don't know that he did. Bucks get the two points and the ball back. Bucks hold, they win the game. Roberts, he's trying to get outside. He's gonna be able to get a pass off. He does, throw him behind, it's over. It's Third out. overtime, fourth and one. They hand off Sailors, no trouble. Get in he breaks free, 15, 10, five, no trouble. Touchdown Buccaneers. Man unblitzed, they grab a of. Terry Adams short, the ball game's over. The ball game's over. Austin Gatewood, the fifth year senior, wraps him up.
3: The comeback of a quarterback.
0: <laughs> Herring's going to have to step up, he throws, he's got him, and Kobe Kelly sits on it at the 8. Second and goal from the 1, ETSU down 27-20. They'll play action, got him in, Matt Thompson, open in the end zone, touchdown Buccaneer! Third and five for the Bucs, traditional eye formation. Austin Herring's just a quarterback keeper to the 10, bangs his way down to the 6, that's a first down! And now Austin Herring, pocket collapses, he tucks to the 10, breaks a tackle, the 5 to the end zone! Touchdown, Buccaneer! The game on the line, going for two of five seconds. Heron, quarterback draw, he's got to get in there, he did!
3: And a devastating defense.
0: Oh. Deflected, intercepted, Robinson. 35-30, 20-10, 30, good night! And the stunner, and the ball moves! That's a touchdown! Got to throw. Deflected, got a shot, intercepted. Artavia Smith, guess who? It's Artavia Smith again, down to the 35. Blake 30. with around the end, swallows him up for us. It's all over him. And the ball's loose, he stripped it. ETS. Dylan Weigel brings him down for a sack. Who else? Garantano better hurry because Jason Padua Bockwith just tracked him down for a big sack.
3: From dust in the ruins to diamonds in the rock.
0: Got him in. What a catch! Quite home hands it, and gets all the way into the end zone. Aaron wants to set up a screen to Quay Holmes. Holmes, midfield, a lot of running room at the 40. Cut back to the 30. Still on his feet to the 20, to the 10, to the end zone. Cut back follows a man right side and walks his way into the end zone. Touchdown, Quay Holmes.
3: A castaway to a champion.
0: ETSU will pick up the victory 21-18 over the Mercer Bears. They are champions.
3: From the darkest of days to the peaks of the postseason. A night decades in the making, do or die down south, ETSU, Jacksonville State. The FCS playoffs begin with kickoff next on the Buccaneers Sports Network. So clearly that was the intro for the playoff game last year. Now, I don't know if you ever listened to that intro, but you were the first person I ever sent that to and had the chance to listen to it. I sent it to you, I think it was the Wednesday or Thursday before the game. It might have even been Thanksgiving, because I think that was the week of Thanksgiving. And I was just finishing it up before I talked with you. I think it was Team Martin and one other person on the preview show um for that playoff game and i just said it to you and said hey not sure if you want to hear something like this you may very well been in the zone just like the year was going so well you're like what is this idiot radio guy sending me i'm just gonna push this to the side until everything's said and done or never listen to it. whatever the case may have been but that was said to you first before anyone else heard it wanting to know if you listened to it before today and what comes to mind when you think of it a year removed from winning that southern conference championship
5: I do remember uh you sending that to me. I, I listened to bits and pieces of it, I think. I think I was with uh I think I was with Austin Gatewood and we were listening to it. Um but yeah, it definitely brings back some memories of um that time and uh you know how things were and just that season was so crazy and it felt like it went by so fast looking back at it, but in the moment it felt like it lasted forever. So yeah, it it was uh i mean it was a whirlwind you know you you go from in my case to not starting not playing really and then um you look up six seven weeks later you got a chance to win conference and so that's uh that's something that i don't think anyone anticipated happening and um it it was crazy it's like the story just got cooler each and every week and uh you know that's uh that's something i think we'll all look back on with uh with fond memories
3: then there's your experience on Sandos and the Sidekick. I'm yeah, squirming so. in
5: my seat right now. Yeah, so Pretty representative, I think, as to how things have gone for you on Sandos and the Sidekick.
3: <laughs> I guess so. I, I feel like that is accurate, yeah. I mean, I could have pulled out any soundbite, but over the 14 months, I listened to every single minute. No, I didn't. I, I remembered that from last week, and I was like, you know what? I bet that's how Austin feels a lot of times on this show. What is your favorite Sandos and the
5: Sidekick memory? Uh, I would say... I think my you have favorite to come up with even what, isn't it? Yeah, my favorite my favorite episode I think was the one we did last year in the uh, in Brooks gym when we kind of wrapped up really my playing career at ETSU and talked about the season and talked about um I think even all the way back to my recruitment. And it was that was just a really cool episode I thought and even last week talking to Hunter, uh, someone who I'm really close with and having him on here uh was really cool but Uh, Yeah, I would say my favorite memory is wrapping up the season last year in, in Brooks Gym.
3: What's your favorite memory at ETSU that we wouldn't have heard? Because we've talked so much about your football career. We've witnessed a lot of great moments. We've witnessed the highs and lows of emotions with you. That's kind of when we started doing shows with you was when we got word that you didn't get the job out of camp. You'd be the backup. And to us, it didn't really matter because... Just a good dude, good talker, good story, um, really a significant figure in ETSU football's resurrection and someone that fit what we were trying to do really well and obviously um, have done a great job since we've had you on to, I think, entertain listeners and give some insights and do everything under the umbrella of what we were hoping. So um, when we look back on all those, I can pull out a ton of them where I'm like, wow, that's really cool to hear that or this is something I wouldn't have known and certainly if you repeat a story that's okay because you are not going to remember every single one you've told but one that you don't think that you have told us yet that stands out as a big plus in your experience here
5: yeah I mean my favorite memories are definitely the ones I made with my teammates and my friends really off the field and outside of the dome Uh, those are the things I'll remember most but I guess a cool uh, football story that Really, I I don't think many people know. Um, I don't think I've said it on here for sure, but uh, it's last year for the Furman game. Um, I always did this routine where I would uh, throw these weighted balls into the wall um, up there in the batting cages um, on the other side of the dome. So um, I, I did that before every game, and I was throwing them into the wall, and I hit my middle finger. Uh, and definitely broke it And I was like well you know it really doesn't matter I'm probably not going to play And um, and I remember Going down and telling A few of the guys like hey I, I definitely just broke my middle finger And if you know anything about throwing a football um, This was on your throwing hand too yeah, it's on my left hand If you know anything about throwing a football The middle finger has a lot to do with how you grip it um, And so I told them I was like you know my luck is I'll come in tonight and have to play um, And <laughs> and uh, I I had a weird feeling the whole week that I was going to go in and play um, and me and one of my buddies were just kind of playing it out like what would happen if I did go in Um, and all of a sudden it happened and and I go out there and probably my my all-time favorite ETSU football memory was when I went onto the field and they announced that you know Austin Harrington at quarterback and just kind of hearing the crowd and um, their reception and, and all of that of me being back on the field was was really crazy and then um, as I mentioned before I've, I'm really close with my roommates and that first drive when we went down and scored uh, I come to the sidelines and Alonzo um, who's not an emotional guy at all like comes up and hugs me and he starts crying and I'm like man we're in the middle of a game Like we got a long way to go and then um, you know th- the way that whole night played out we ended up winning and I'll never forget as soon as uh the clock struck zero I was like just overcome with emotion and I, I wouldn't consider myself a super emotional person by any means but I, I couldn't do anything but just kind of tear up and, and start crying and um yeah those stories and particularly that night will stick with me for the rest of my life and I know that's a big part of how people remember me as an ETSU player and um I think it kind of speaks to the kind of player I was. Maybe uh, not the most talented guy by any means, but I was going to fight. I was going to continue to uh, do whatever it took to to win and to hang around and give ourselves a chance to win. Um, And that's kind of the story of how that all played out. Just, you know, maybe things aren't going the way you want, but just hang on and, and give yourself a chance to write a cool story. So I want to make sure that I have this correct. Not only did you pull the miraculous comeback against
3: Furman, you did it with a broken middle finger on your throwing
5: hand. Yeah, yeah it was just kind of really odd that out of all nights that's the one I, I had to break my finger. You know, but yeah, it was, uh, it, was it was cool. I guess. Uh, How did you do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I I forgot about you it. You didn't feel it. I I didn't even think about wow. it. Yeah. Um. I, the next day it was sore, but you know, I mean, it's just a it's not like a broke leg or anything. So. Um,
3: Just a broken finger on your throwing hand when you're throwing a football down 21 points in the third quarter in your first extensive action of the year in your senior year. Yeah, you're
5: right. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, <laughs> but it was, it, like I said, that that night. You know, it's not interesting enough to be a movie. But if there's any part of my life that was, um, you know, going to be captured on cinema, uh, that that night maybe that season could.
3: Well, I thought that season was good enough to be a movie personally, uh, right. and I know that there's in a lot of people's minds maybe not enough that went into covering that year and rightfully so because i think it was such an incredible set of circumstances such an incredible story such a unique rise from as you heard in the audio just from the ruins to you know the highest peaks right and while that feeling exists i hope that hearing that little 5 minute bite that we used for the intro gives you at least an idea of that story compressed and how big it was and it's not a cinema motion picture feature film two-hour bit but that's what we were trying to capture in those five minutes when we did that intro this could be your last game as a member of ETSU football in any capacity right now we've done all this before and that is the funny part when I was thinking about what to talk about this week with you aside from the reminiscing and stuff that we've been teasing for the last few weeks um but I wanted to figure out how to wrap it up. And I was like, well, we have wrapped it up. But we wrapped it up, like you said, in that conversation that we had in Brooks Gym. I think it would have been early December. I think we gave you a couple weeks off right, or yeah. maybe early January. And then you came back and we had that talk with you good 30 or 35 minutes covering really how you arrived to ETSU to then going out of ETSU as a player. And now it almost feels like we're rehashing it all again and only to rebury it kind of because – While it could very well be your last time with ETSU as a member of the staff and being around the program, it also could not, I guess. I'm kind of in limbo talking about it, so I guess I'll just let you take it away and not try and talk for you about the situation.
5: Yeah, that's kind of the deal with coaching. You never know where you're going to go or uh, how long you're going to stay somewhere. Um, But no doubt, the, the last buck walk we had against Mercer, I definitely thought, man, this could be the last time I, I, I go through this for a while. Um, I'll definitely be here for the spring. Um, but after that, it's all up in the air. I could be back or I could very well be gone. Um, so yeah, in and, and, and regards to coaching, I've told myself I'm going to give it at least two or three seasons and see how that works out. If I don't see any significant process or progress in that, then uh, kind of reevaluate um, after that time is up. But as for now I really enjoy coaching and I really like uh, being around the game it's been cool to be back at ETSU where I feel comfortable Um, but but I I I am looking forward to the next challenge the next place to go to and seeing you know what else is out there and uh, learning from uh, a a different place a different scenario and so if if that opportunity comes then then I jump on it but um yeah I, I really don't know once again where I'll be going I could end up in Austria you know as as wild as that was <laughs> already
3: signed another quarterback keep that in mind
5: no uh, well there's other teams in that country so <laughs> you never know I'd like to go beat them now uh now but uh yeah so who knows I, I don't I'd be silly to to try to plan out the future um especially how the last year has gone so We'll see. We'll see what happens, and uh, but no doubt I'll always be a buck, and I'll always root for this place to have success, and um, if I'm not back next year, I hope to get back uh, at some point down the road. That's a perfect way to end it. been good having you. Yeah, it's been good to be on. Thank and you. Man, we
3: might do this again next year. Who knows? <laughs> <But>
5: <laughs> Who knows? Third Who knows? goodbye
3: may be the chart for Austin Herrick. Uh, offensive quality control coach has joined us for 14 months now and taken us through the highs, the lows, and then the end of his career to beginning of his new career the route tree is where it all started and more routes coming for austin just not sure in which direction those may be could bill still be here at austin uh herring's alma mater etsu could be moving on to another coaching stop but it's been good to have him throughout his time here at etsu senior season all the way up through his first year of coaching sanderson the sidekick back after this in the buccaneer sports network ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have
4: chicken wings and tater tots
3: with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Firstly, I want to know if you're emotional that Austin Herrick may very well have just made his last ever appearance. I'd say that's the side. Now that we get a chance to talk about it post and you've listened to it, did you shed a tear? I do no. see one in your eye right no. now. No. Left eye. He's coming know. back. He's forming. coming back. He's coming back. I see some kind of. It's sal- allergies.
2: I've sneezed like salty, 75 times over here. It's like
3: a salty discharge
1: Can't there the breathe. Side of my nose face. is going. Yeah, I'm
2: not well, quite sure. all right, you know what? It was a good um, story, and I just thought about this right this second. When I scared the living daylights out of the girl that was setting out the spread of food, even though I told her we were about to do a podcast, and, of course, I'm just sitting there in silence, and then I come in hot with uh, the open, <laughs> and she literally jumped out of her skin and was just staring at me like, what the heck's going on here? I was like, I just told you I'm doing a radio-slash-podcast show. I said podcast, kind of looked at me and said it's a radio show, and she was like, oh, okay. But still, like, I scared her the living daylights out of her. I think that was... Uh, Something that uh, stuck out to me because I'm I mean, I asking women a lot just in general, uh, but I think that was funny because she's over there laying out a, you know, muffins or something, and the next thing I know, a couple of them hit the floor, and she's looking back like, "What the heck's going on back here?" Firstly,
3: so, what happened to those muffins? Well, I ate the one.
2: I told her go ahead and bring him over to me. Fantastic. I mean, you know that. Come on, fantastic. Let's, let's
3: go with it. But I, that, my point there
2: too was the allergy. I Like several times, I had to mute myself to sneeze. Oh, it was I, ugly. Yeah. And uh, it was it was not good. And so I'm doing that. So that the allergies is what's going on here, not the Austin. Herrick. Austin Herrick will be back <laughs> because it's it's just going to happen. I is it's like
3: uh, it's like we hey, can't break up with Austin Herrick.
2: You know what? It's kind of like that rash you had in college wouldn't go away. It just keeps going. It's going. Was oh, that not you? Oh, Anyways, it keeps going and going. And that's one of those things. So, anyways, maybe somebody else.
3: Secondly, but. are you happy or sad that we are eschewing bold predictions this week? I thought it was a good idea happy. just to give us a break. Happy. We need to reload. Something may have been right. I don't know what maybe it maybe is. Maybe we better at hoops. I think we'll reload. Oh, we've got to make some year-long hoops predictions. Yep. And we also, maybe on Monday, go over our season-long football predictions, at least the ones made about ETSU.
2: Maybe that can be bold predictions. We did we Monday. did some
3: uh college right, we did ETSU did college and we did pros. We predict- well we did
2: pro picks, that's not bold predictions. We prediction. predicted
3: we well, yeah, but we're getting what? A point for each of those. So we predicted the entire NFL playoff bracket, which we still have to wait on. But yeah, we did college. Yeah, I vote. Which next we may have year. to wait on Because we
2: well, 'Cause you're Clemson one in it, but still I, I think next year we need to do uh where we get one do over, so out of our pro picks we can just trade out one team. <laughs>
4: mm.
2: Not not everything you're not redoing everything but one just egregious you didn't know something
3: was going to happen you, you could trade them out i don't know anyway. i would still not trade the oakland raiders i don't think even you should. though i don't think you should even though antonio brown didn't work out via your bold prediction in the open that we would usually play right about now
2: uh my my bold prediction exactly worked out exactly how that says yeah
3: yeah there may be some clever right. editing hey, point being,
2: let's talk uh more football. important We're this week football? football more no. important is football vandy ETSU. end of the year vandy etsu and you look at the Vanderbilt Commodores are two and eight. I think their Super Bowl is the next week. I don't know where people feel like this could be a trap game. My guess is a two-and-eight Vanity team still looks at three and eight ETSU and kind of scoffs and says, eh, all right, we got Tennessee next week. Hopefully Missouri beats Tennessee. Agreed. Then they we have a chance to block them from going to a bowl. So at least if we're not good, we stop Tennessee from going to a bowl. I think that's the mindset. I would also say I think there are coordinators' jobs that even though Derek Mason got the old vote of confidence, a tight game against ETSU or a loss to ETSU could certainly take that vote of confidence away in a heartbeat. And I think the coordinators, because there are a couple of games recently where Vanderbilt, I mean, and I know they play in the SEC, and it's a whole different animal. Train wrap. day. I mean, when you only can muster about 128 yards in a Division One conference game, and I know it's Florida and the defense and the speed and all that, I think they only had like 128 yards total offense, whatever it was. To me, they need to make up some numbers. So, this could be a game that could go two ways. One, ETSU is going to play a tight game and roll the dice, see what happens. Or two, three things. One, it's tight, sort of see what happens. Two, Vandy gets up early and tries to pack it in and save everything for Tennessee. Mm. Or three, the coordinators are like, hey, we've got to up some of these stats because we've looked so terrible, so we need 700, 800 yards total offense, and we need to put about 90 on the board. So there's three things to me that, that could happen. Bucks make it interesting, who knows, right, get a shot there late. Um, two, Vandy gets a decent-sized lead and packs it in, and, and you know maybe it's only a 14, 21-point game. Or is it a situation where, if Vandy does have some success, that they do try to score as much as humanly possible? I go back to the 1998 game, etsu Miami, Florida, and uh, there was some name. ETSU is fresh off, uh, you know, the '96 playoffs, just missed playoffs in '97. Miami's coming off a losing year. Everyone's starting to think, you know, hey, ETSU can go down and win that. Give them a fight. You know, Miami wasn't very good. It's another. You know, they had Bubba Franks at tight end, had Edron James at tailback, got Ed, Reed, Ed Dan Morgan. I mean, they got all these Got a couple receivers I'm forgetting, Reggie Wayne maybe, I don't know, whoever's there. But it, they had like 11 guys go to the pros. 11 guys off that team went to the NFL, and a couple of them could be Hall of Famers is how good they are. So, that being said, ETSU goes down there, and it's 33, I think it's 33-17 in the fourth, okay? Miami and Florida, because this the first year of BCS and margin of victory mattered, Miami starts onside kicking.
3: Oh wow!
2: And got it to sixty six to seventeen or sixty six to twenty four, something like that. But really, the game wasn't that bad. And I, I don't know that Vandy could score sixty six on itself. Um, just judging on, on what's going on here. But you, you know they're stepping down and playing FCS team, so maybe maybe they can get things going. So this game strikes me as that you could maybe see Vandy try to be Miami, Florida. I don't know the onside kick, but try to score as much as humanly possible i could certainly see them saying hey we want to leave some bullets in the in the gun for next week when they play tennessee and try to figure out they can beat them that being said the one thing for sure is you're going to have to stop kashaun vaughn
3: before we get to vanderbilt now you've got me on a rabbit hunt for what you missed on that 1998 team don't look at the screen oh okay you missed two players that are recognizable nfl names one of them's a receiver one of them's a fullback you want me to give you teams Sure. Washington Redskins. That's the receiver.
2: Washington Redskins receiver
3: from Miami of Florida. He led them in receiving that year. And maybe this will help. 30 catches, 631 yards, 21 yards average (laughs) per catch. Eight touchdowns.
2: So so you're saying he he stretched the field a little bit.
3: He's not Randy. He's Santana Moss. Santana Moss. Moss. Oh, that was a good one. I (laughs) Uh, did forget Santana Moss. Fullback Packers. Seven uh, yards per carry while he was at Miami. Lee blocking for Edge, who had fourteen hundred uh, yards and seventeen touchdowns that
2: year. Uh, oh yeah, hang on, hang on. Oh,
3: oh, oh my gosh. I can see him too. Not Lindsay, but that's not that's not an easy hint. <laughs> <laughs> not Lindsay, <laughs> not okay. Lindsay. Uh okay. You gotta he had some tennis knowledge for that. Not Lindsay, but some tennis knowledge. Yeah. Other than
2: Yvonne Lindell, I'm out. Okay. Okay.
3: Women's tennis knowledge in this case. Wow. Oh, Obviously okay. Lindsay. Not Lindsey Davenport, but Najee Davenport. Oh, Najee! Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was solid.
2: Uh, Lindsey right, well,
3: Davenport. Go, go, Davenport. To the, go
2: to the defensive real quick. See if they got any defensive
3: uh, They defense. They don't really have all. All right,
2: that's defense, all right. Go so. ahead, go. We'll we'll, we'll move on. Anyway,
3: it's, it's about You talked about stats. Yeah, they were pretty good. Here's some stats. Last in rushing yards in the SEC. Second to last in passing yards. They're tied last in the SEC for fewest sacks. Tied last in the league with five interceptions. They are last in the SEC in total defense. And they are second to last in the nation in pass efficiency. Here's my question to you. If they play tomorrow, App State, Vandy, who wins? Vandy. And by how many? A couple scores. I think a couple scores, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if it's at Vandy, probably still maybe 10. Probably not what it would be at App State, well, right?
2: Well, but to be honest with you, App State travels well. Tickets okay. are going for one dollar free tissue. They may okay. only be five dollars for App State, okay. so I, I think they would have even more of a hometown home crowd.
3: So you think fourteen to twenty one?
2: I think fourteen to twenty Yeah, I think. I think yes, I do. I think it's about right. What South Carolina beat? And I know you can't do direct score comparisons. And let's see if I can get that up real quick. But didn't South Carolina win? Let's see what was that? Twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. Yeah. And, you know, seven-point win for App. Again, it's not there, but I think 24-7 could be App State I'm in this right. situation.
3: I, I agree that I think it would be App State. It's tough with an SEC team because, like Randy Sanders said in the coaches' show last night, and as a matter of fact, I want to just switch over to the place that I put that and have him answer that exact question
4: himself. App State had an outstanding football team, really no weaknesses anywhere. And you, you see it. They've gone to this point with only one loss, and it was, it was a close loss to uh, Georgia Southern. When it came to size, they weren't that much bigger than us. And in some cases, weren't as big as us, but they, they were fast. I was concerned about that speed going in. Vanderbilts they, they kind of remind you of watching Stanford, which is you know where Coach Mason had a, a lot of ties and things like that. But they're a big physical football team. They're not as fast as Appalachian State. Now, that doesn't mean they're slow. When you, when you compare them to the teams we've been facing, they're, they're still going to be fast. So, But they are a big – strong, physical football team. And we're going to have to make up our mind it's going to be that kind of football game, get hit in the mouth, but we're going to hit them in the mouth too and, and see how it all goes. It's, it's still a 60-minute game, and let's go play.
3: So to me it comes down to what's more dangerous for a team like UTSU, size or speed? So, It may just be a bad matchup if you say size. Right. Speed, it was 21-7. You know, let's we, not forget, App State, we, 44 minutes in was 21-7. to The speed thing sometimes
2: you – you could negate. Now, again, App State didn't have any long touchdown run. They had long, sustained drives, but they didn't bust a play for 40, 50, 60 yards, which they have against everybody else this year. They've got a 40-yard touchdown in every single game this year except for ETSU. So they've been able to get those big play They weren't able to do that. The size thing, especially with ETSU being thin and the defensive line and all that, this year particularly I would say that the size is a little more concerning. Um the speed can get a game a little more out of control, right? You can get beat by a lot more with speed than you can with the big bruiser, but the big bruiser may just grind you away and you're really not in it, right? And you're just trying to survive that last little bit. So I I think the size for this ETSU team, now moving forward and some other things, you got more depth, it might be speed. But I think it's going to be interesting, the, the fact that they saw App State, they saw the speed. Again, it was a long time ago. Will there be a a quarter, two-possession adjustment, whatever it is, to the speed of the game? That'll be interesting to see, but the size is what's concerning more to me because you think about the offensive line, and you write off all these numbers, and they're doing it against an SEC defensive line, which I think we all agree if you're looking at defensive line as a whole as a conference, right? Now, that's not to say there aren't teams like Wisconsin, Ohio State, and and, uh, uh, some guys that can put out NFL talent on the defensive line. But I think if you're talking about straight across defensive line, best defensive lineman, five stars, all the other things, you know, some of the people are going against clearly week in and week out is just a different animal. And now they're going to line up against, you know, an FCS squad and see, see what they do. So the size to me is a little bit more pressing because you can't really do that speed. You can do some things to try to negate, and I think the Bucks have done a good job in years past with that. The size I think is what's concerning.
3: Here's Coach on Vanderbilt's
4: offense. Starts with the running back. He, he's a he's a really good football player. As you mentioned, he, he's going to remind you a lot of uh, the back we faced last week at Mercer, but he's probably a little bit faster, probably a little bit more versatile. Built very similar. Dynamic when he gets the ball in his hands. Uh, they've been a little unsettled at quarterback, played a number of different people there. Uh, you mentioned the West. I think Deuce Wallace has played quite a bit, but they've had a little bit of a revolving door at quarterback. Hadn't really – seem to get settled on uh, anyone defensively. They have played well. As you mentioned, they kind of get worn down a little bit, and some of it has been because of some of their uh, offensive woes, not being able to hang on to the ball, not being able to uh, sustain drives, things like that, leaving the defense out there quite a bit. So... The teams they're playing are pretty good. So it's going to be a big challenge for us. Our, our team shows up and fights, and I believe we're going to show up in final Saturday.
3: Kashawn Vaughn, 5'10", 218. Not quite the load that an Alim Ford or a Tyree Devison, who Coach was referencing from Mercer, is, but still a very impressive specimen. Doke Walker, uh, watch list, all SEC, first team. Uh, his accomplishments go on and on, and that's with a passing game that doesn't have any firepower to back him up at all. He's essentially putting the offense on his back week in, week out.
2: 204 touches when you talk about rushing and receiving. So 204 touches, he's well over 1,000 yards when you combine it. He's at 876 rushing. You know they're going to try to get him to 1,000 yards. Last year
3: almost 1,300 rushing. Well,
2: And they would like to get him, I'm sure, closer or get it in this game, and I don't have to worry about that. But I would assume they would try to – reward that young man for everything he's tried to do this year. He's definitely who you have to try to stop. And Tyree Devson a limb forward the little bigger, but you watch Vaughn on tape, he's he's strong like those guys, but he's way quicker and right. faster. Quicker and faster. To me that's a dangerous combo. Sometimes guys are a little quicker, okay, doesn't have top end, but he's he is quick, gets to the edge, and then once he gets to the edge you can forget about it. He you know, he's got that home run speed and so I, I think can ETSU be able to turn him back in, right? If they can stop him from getting to the edge, they got a shot, I, I think they will pound the rock with him. He will get his. And then how will ETSU be able to go? Because Bucks play a lot of man-to-man, right? So, you know, depending on what type of day, whoever is the quarterback for Vandy, if they're going to be able to to throw, again, more athletic, taller receivers. We'll see how the secondary handles it. But Coach Taylor, not afraid to, to man up, and especially in this situation where – Vandy's line's not particularly great, but again, look who they're not great against. Will he just be able to get pressure with three or four players, are they going to have to try to make him uncomfortable and try to get uh, whoever the quarterback is out of the pocket because that's where they're throwing all the interceptions.
3: Quarterback's interesting for both sides. I'll be interested to see if Trey Mitchell or Tyler Idell get the start or if it will be something that doesn't really matter and they just both play like they have in weeks past. Tyler Idell at 5'11", and Coach joked, that it would be the perfect matchup for him because nobody would be able to see where he is outside of the defensive lineman on the coaches' show last night. He said that. It's funny, and you give the old, you know, elbow to the ribs and such, like, ah, that's a good one. But uh, it's, it'll be interesting which direction the Bucks go because obviously Tyler's not going to be able to see over the defensive line himself in a lot of situations with some guys that are six six and six seven and just big loads up front as well. He'd have to find those passing lanes, which would be very tough. And then for Vanderbilt, I think it's probably going to be Riley Neal. He had a good game against Northern Illinois in that win. Mo Hassan was really good against Missouri, but he was concussed. Then Deuce Wallace played against South Carolina after Neal was concussed. Wallace was bad against South Carolina and Florida. Neal came back last week and wasn't good against Kentucky. But with Hassan having not played the last couple of weeks and Wallace being so bad, you would imagine that it would be Neal, although that still hasn't been confirmed. So some question marks on both sides. Here's one more from Coach on Bandy's offense.
4: The same thing that's concerned me the last couple of weeks honestly is just stopping the run. Going into the Mercer game they were going to run the ball they were going to give it to their back and they certainly did that and had some success. Western Carolina you knew you had to stop the run but the quarterback was more involved in it. Vanderbilt will run their quarterback but it's going to be their tailback. Hey, that's the guy you got to stop. Obviously I'm sure they understand they're bigger, faster, stronger than us so they're going to try to impose their will on us that way and We need to play with great pad leverage, do our job up front. We're going to have to show up uh, as a defensive line. Linebackers are going to have to do a great job fitting the runs. Art and Tyree or MJ or whomever's back there at safety is going to have to do a great job with their eye discipline where they can still play the play action, but yet get downhill and and be involved in a run game because it's it's going to take more than one guy to stop that guy. He's a good player, as we talked about. He's big. He's physical. That's going to be challenging for us.
3: Neal doesn't really run. Wallace doesn't really run. Mo Hassan will run a bit, but again, the likelihood of him coming back, his concussion was really ugly. It was targeting that was way, way late against Missouri, and that was the game that they wanted. He was really good, maybe started to figure some stuff out, but then gets really just helmeted right in his own helmet, right in the side of the head, and head just jammed into the turf right when he was sliding feet first. It was bad. So I'm expecting it to be Neal, which means essentially, yeah, you're just worried about, The running back Vaughn, and there's really no other runners that do a lot. I mean, he's got 178 attempts of their 302, and the let's see, 124 others, 39 for Keon Brooks, so that's what four a game for the backup running back. 39 for Riley Neal. Some of those are sacks, so he doesn't really run it a whole lot, and that's just a smattering of some others with Deuce Wallace having played a lot, some sacks there, and Hassan a couple of sacks there too, and he's probably not going to play, so those carries are removed. So. It is very interesting. I don't think that this Vanderbilt team is very dangerous in too many areas. One strange thing is they do have three defensive touchdowns, which is third in the nation. And for a defense that's been so bad, it does worry me that they forced the big play, and Coach Sanders was talking about that last night. Just, oh, it seems like against the Vanderbilts or the Tennessees or the Appalachian States, once in a while, if you have a tip ball, it'll just end up in somebody's hands. Or – you'll not have a guy that was down be whistled down and there's no clear evidence for a review and it turns into you know a bad situation for your defense or it's return for a touchdown something like that so i don't know that's really all that worries me if you look at what the bucks have done this year in their three wins and all three of them they've scored in the first quarter they had rushing touchdowns multiple rushing touchdowns in two of them and they had their best rushing totals of the season against shorter and mercer uh, in those two wins so gotta run the ball had multiple rushing touchdowns in all three and then you also scored in the first quarter so get quay holmes going score early and obviously you're going to have to kind of control the pace and get the running game going because in your passing game you don't know what you have
2: and vanderbilt in the third quarter has been horrific yeah they had some a lot of issues again sometimes that happens to be when a, a coach of an sec school you know kind of pills the pain off the Locker room for maybe not how they play and they come a little fired up in the second half. What is so,
3: Derek Mason saying to his? List? I don't know. <laughs> not it's it's sure. not
2: working. Whatever it is, because
3: they've been in a lot of games. I mean, Florida was two scores. Georgia was two scores. This is the half, yeah, and
2: that, and that's what I think happens sometimes. Again, they used to be a saying, and I've, I've said it on the podcast. They used to have a buddy who would coin the phrase, you know, bad teams can aim a good team for a half, and then either depth or the good team wakes up or whatever it is. And especially if you're playing a team like Vandy, they just uh, he would say, you know, you know, Georgia's not really concerned about Vandy, and all of a sudden they're hanging around. Coach says. All right, boys, how do you want the next week of practice to go? Ooh. How do you want to handle this? That's then, motivation. That's exactly right. So, I was just interested in all the quarterbacks. So, you know, they had Shermer last year. Pat Shermer's son was quarterback, and he was unbelievable and gave Vandy a, a lot of great opportunities to win, including the game at Notre Dame that I watched all last year just because we were off that Saturday. But you, you look, they brought in a graduate transfer, Riley Neal, who played at, at Ball State. Deuce Wallace, people may remember, because he's just down the road from Sevier County. He played Sevier County High School. You know, was a teammate of J.D. Griffin's. There's a couple other ties that were that were there with him. And Moha Hassan is a kid from Miami, Florida, that's a redshirt junior that actually went to community college for a couple of years. Went to started at Syracuse and went to Coffee County Community College. You got. So they've gone a couple different routes. They've gone high school. They've got a JUCO. They've got a grad transfer. They've just been trying to figure it out. And part of that, as ETSU fans know, when you get four or five quarterbacks taking snaps. You know, that's not
3: necessarily a great thing, and I think Vandy's trying to trying to figure it out as well. Six of their eight losses, two scores or less at the half. So they've been in games. They just have not been able to figure it out in the second half, put together 60 full minutes. And, heck, I mean, the Bucks know about that a little bit too. That's kind of how it's been this year for them as well.
2: Yeah, been tight. Third quarter's not been real kind to ETSU as well. So maybe wins the third quarter and come out there and win the game. Who knows? ETSU would certainly like to uh, um, have it come down to that. And to see, you know, that's all you want. As a fourth-quarter SEC place, have a shot. You never know. I think
3: it'll probably be like a three, three three-and-a-half touchdown spread if that ever does come out. Um, Haven't seen one yet. Maybe a little bit more just because it's SEC and even the worst team in the SEC against an FCS team. Well, it's definitely
2: going to be under 57, which Mm -hmm. Western Carolina is getting at Alabama.
3: I saw that opened as 67 in one book. I think they took that off the board, but I saw 67. In which case, uh, of course, you and me would never do such a thing. But uh, boy, I'm liking Western Carolina to lose by less than 67. Oh, anybody? Give me anybody. Anybody. It doesn't matter.
2: So I, shorter university. Yes. Well, I don't know. It's over okay. Okay. Too right. crazy. So, anyways, that's side sidekick. Don't forget, we'll be back with you Monday, recapping football, men's and women's basketball. Thank goodness, no bowl predictions to recap. We'll get you set for Appalachian State women's basketball, Appalachian State men's basketball.
4: Monday. Back in here. See ya.